like this really special Sunday, right? As is evidenced by all this orange and blue that some of us are wearing. And, and I wanted you guys to know that I was a theater major because I didn't know if that would make some of you nervous about the fact that a theater major is speaking to you on such a special sports day. And so I came up with like three reasons why I am actually like the perfect person with the sports to be here for you today. Okay. So I'm going to demonstrate my authority with these three reasons right now. It's true. Okay. So here's the first one. I went to all the football and basketball games in high school, all of them as part of the band and the color guard. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's true. I have been to several Super Bowl parties. Mm -hmm. Several. Yes. Yeah, it's true. No, that's true. It's really fun to eat all those snacks, right? It's lovely. It's great. Yeah. Okay. So, I know. I went to several years ago. Yeah. And, and the most important one is, are you ready? I have read The Blind Side. I read, not, not even watched the movie, but I read it. And there's like big chunks of paragraphs of like football stuff in that. And I read it. I did not understand it, but I read it. So, so that is why I have authority to be here and speak to you about Jesus on Super Bowl Sunday. So, and, and even though we're all in anticipation of the game this afternoon and whatever fun snacks we're going to get to eat later and, and all of that kind of stuff, I just want you to kind of soak with me in the words of one of my favorite poets. And her name is Mary Oliver. And I think for the past three weeks, you guys have been going through some of her words. And I was so excited when Dale basically said, like, just use her words as the foundation for your message. And I was like, really? You know, what about like, like this? He had mentioned like a specific scripture. And I said, do you want me to use it? And he was like, yeah, but really like let Mary ground you. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm just going to like preach off of Mary Oliver today. So I'm very, I'm very, very excited about that. Oh, also. So see, I'm wearing my shirt too. This means the Broncos are going to win because the theater girl is wearing the fancy shirt that I bought as a prop to use at church like two years ago. <laughs> it's true. Okay. So before we get any further, I would like to read to you the poem Mornings at Blackwater by Mary Oliver. I think Dale has read it to you, but I think poetry like good scripture always leaves more to be discovered. And so that's why I wanted to read it to all of us again. For years every morning, I drank from Blackwater Pond. It was flavored with oak leaves and also, no doubt, feet of ducks. And always it assuaged me from the dry bowl of the very far past. What I want to say is the past is the past and the present is what your life is. And you are capable of choosing what that will be, darling citizen. So come to the pond, or the river of your imagination, or the harbor of your longing, and put your lips to the world. Many of Miss Oliver's poems were written outside in the exact places that she's writing about. It's said that she takes a three by five handmade notebook and a pencil, and she goes off walking into the woods and writing. And one charming quote I read of her said that she found herself once in the woods with paper, but no pencil. So later on, she went back into the woods with several pencils that she hid around in the trees. And I love that picture, right? This picture of this woman who's like out there digging pencils out of the trees and digging life truth out of ponds. 
I think nature is the place where Mary learns and worships God. It's her cathedral, the ponds, the trees, the leaves, duck feet, all of that. Make this holy place where she can sit and be in this amazing presence of the one who created all of that. This poem is short. It's only 16 lines, but I think the subject matter is lengthy and heavy. The subject of how to really live here in the present of our lives. But Mary presents both problem and solution with clarity and practicality, and she roots all of it in the dirt beneath our feet. And she uses this really common human activity, drinking, as this beautiful theme and metaphor. And I think she does it to gather us all in. We all understand drinking. So we get, we're gathered in in this safe, common thing of thirst and water so that we can hear the challenge that is to come. And I'm going to read the part of the poem that I think is the challenge that she's presenting to us. What I want to say is, the past is the past. And the present is what your life is. And you are capable of choosing what that will be, darling citizen. I think it sounds so simple and beautiful when she says this, but I think the reality of the situation is a little bit more complicated. So I want to spend most of our time unpacking this third stanza of this poem, and we're going to start with the second line, the past is the past. And I want to start by talking about the past of Blackwater Pond. Mary didn't make up Blackwater Pond. It's not some poetic notion. It's a real place. And it's a bowl that was formed during the last ice age on Earth. That's what the internet and the geologists on the internet said. But I saw pictures, so it's real. Um, geologists tell us that during this last ice age, there was a glacier that was forming way up north in Canada. And it's made its way down, and it helped form Cape Cod. And now Blackwater Pond sits at the tip of the Cape. But where Cape Cod is made up of the rock and the debris left over by the edge of the glacier, the actual land that Blackwater Pond sits on was made in a completely different way. Atlantic winds actually eroded cliffs into sand, and the sand fell down into dunes shaped by the same winds. And this became this little geological kind of wonder. This land formed one way on a piece of land formed on another way. There are many actual four um, freshwater ponds on Cape Cod, and Blackwater Pond is one of those freshwater ponds so close to all the salty ocean water. And while land composition isn't our point, I think it is a pointer towards a bigger truth, that the past does help create the present. Glaciers and winds created lands and ponds. And I think our past helps create our present. Our past. The schools we went to, the parents we had, the jobs we were hired to do, maybe that boss that fired us, the boss that promoted us, right? The people we married or didn't, the abuse we suffered, the parent who fell ill, that one good choice we made, that really good time, all we have done and left undone, right? That is all as influential as glaciers, as strong as winds. But for all of the influence the past has on us, the past is not us. Your past is not you. Because that glacier that formed Cape Cod, 
it isn't there anymore. And that specific wind that eroded those cliffs into sand, it isn't blowing anymore. Mary kindly makes space for our past without lingering too long upon it. She simply states that the past is the past. But it doesn't always seem that simple for me. I don't know about you. Sometimes it's really hard for me to let the past stay in the past, for me to not let the past define who I am now. And I think it's because we have, or I have, a hard time doing what St. Paul says that he tries to do in the Bible. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he writes that he tries to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. And at first glance, I thought both he and Mary were saying the same thing about the past. But as per usual, the Bible is complicated for me. And this time, I couldn't get past the word forget. I just kept getting tripped up on this word forget. And I was trying to figure out why. And I think it's because I don't think we can truly forget our past. Not really. So I wanted to know if the word forget was maybe a little bit of a different word. So I went scavenging around, trying to see if the original word in Greek it is used in this reference was forget or what it was. And from what I think I gleaned from a little research, Greek is very hard, folks, um, is that a good word to replace forget may be the word neglect. Now, neglect, I don't know about you, but it has a very negative connotation for me. I only tend to think of, like, animals or children suffering from neglect. But for today, I want us to change the connotation. I want us to assume that neglect isn't all bad. I want us to assume that maybe it can actually help us. And I want to actually connect it with the word inattention, as in not paying attention, not giving our focus. And so, if neglect is good, and if it means the same thing as not paying attention, then I think we can read Paul's words like this. He says he tries to be inattentive to the past and strain towards what is ahead. I like this concept better than just straight up forgetting. The idea of, of not forgetting the past completely, but but being inattentive to it, not giving it our focus. Somehow for me, this acknowledges the weight of our past without giving it too much power over our lives. So then I had to ask myself, so how can I neglect my past? How can I be inattentive to my past? And I think there are actually many ways, but I wanna focus on one for today. I think we can be inattentive to our past by putting our attention elsewhere. But where? There's a lot competing for our attention in our everyday life. And I think that we can put our attention to the next part of the stanza in the poem, to the present. Mary Oliver says, the present is where your life is. And the first thing that I connected to this phrase was this lovely little book by Kathleen Norris called The Quotidian Mysteries. Now, quotidian means occurring every day. So the title really could read The Mysteries That Occur Every Day, The Everyday Mysteries. And this book is about the fact that although we may have the opportunity to gain power and wealth and status and authority, not one of us will ever rise high enough to escape these bodies 
and our everyday life on this earth. We can't and won't escape the skin and bones that cover us and make us, and all that these skin and bones need, all these skin and bones require of us, from us. Now, this book helped me to see my placement in my body and, and in this daily routine of life as a beautiful structure. See, Kathleen Norris has given much thought to the everyday patterns and cycles of our lives. There are so many everyday patterns and cycles we engage in. Our minds and bodies actually are wired to look for patterns even without us trying to. We, our brains seek them. There's safety in them. We repeat a daily cycle, right, every 24 hours. We move through four seasons annually. We reap the benefits of planting season at harvest time. And these, I think, are unique ways of seeing and engaging in a world that is made with purpose and intentionality. Kathleen Knorr says that our daily life is holy and that God intended it to be so. Laundry and financial ports included. The thought that the laundry could be holy gave me such hope. It's true, I do a lot of laundry, and we all do, right? It's part of this everyday boring thing. We always do the dishes. No matter how many, dish, how many times we do the dishes, they will always get dirty. No matter how many times we do the laundry, there will be more to do. I was, and sometimes still do feel like I'm just drowning in my everyday life. I don't know if the rest of you have felt that way or ever do feel that way. I don't know if you can even just think for a little bit about your daily life. Is repetition a part of your life? Do you set that alarm clock for the same time every day? Do you drive the same route to work, buy the same brand of milk, maybe even sit in the same seat every Sunday at church? For me, it was and still often is the demands of parenting that can really get me. But as I thought through that a little bit more, I realized that before I became a parent, when I worked a full-time job outside of the house, it was those rigid hours that made me feel suffocated. There was no escaping it. No matter where I am, I can just feel so weighed down by the everyday. And I think the monotony of the everyday is so common, that's why we have this phrase that we probably have all used or heard to describe it, the daily grind. And so I looked up this phrase, and it originated in England and it refers to the daily chore of grinding your grain so that you could have bread, so that you could have food, so that you could have life. And this idea of daily bread is also woven throughout our scriptures. It is a concept that the Israelites understood well. They wandered in this desert for 40 years, no grocery stores, no farms, no way to have their own grain. But God granted them manna every single morning. But the manna could not be stored. The Israelites tried, but it was filled with maggots and nasty smells the next day. See, every need, even every day, even for the Israelites, it brought the renewal of their body's need to eat and drink. But it also brought the renewal of this fulfilled promise of fresh manna to last for the day. What a way to experience the daily grind, I think. And I think God may even know a bit about repetition. I think God chose to act in a daily act of creation when the earth and the cosmos were created. God did the same thing over and over. God spoke, God created, and then kind of seemingly let it all be until God did it again and spoke and created and let it be 
and then spoke and created and let it be. And what did God say at the end of every act of creation? He said, it is good. Soren Kierkegaard said, repetition is reality. It is the seriousness of life. Repetition is the daily bread that satisfies. In order to fully find the sustenance that Kierkegaard speaks of, then I think we have to engage in our present, in our everyday. We have to go out and we've got to grind that grain. We have to pick up that manna because if we don't engage in our present, we will starve. We will wither in the shadow of the past because the daily grind saves us. It feeds us. It sustains us both physically and spiritually. That daily grind, it is us and it is holy. Our everyday life. Mary says that it is where our life is. And she also says that we have the ability to choose what that will be. And I think we want, like Kathleen Norris says, we want life to have meaning. We want fulfillment. We want healing, even ecstasy. But the human paradox is that we find these things by starting where we are not by starting where we wish to be, not by starting in our past. We start where we are. This is where our attention can move to when we're not paying attention to our past. We can pay attention to the present. And I think Mary totally understands all this daily grind and repetition stuff. I think maybe it's why she even begins the poem, for years, every morning, I drank. And she says that she was always assuaged, satisfied. So if, like me, you want your repetitious daily life to be holy and to assuage you, then I think we have to ask this question. How do we fully engage with our present? And since Mary uses the language of drinking and water in the poem, I think we have to pay attention to where we drink. I do a lot of drinking at home, and it isn't always wine, unless it's after 8.30 p.m. and then it's always wine. <laughs> Just kidding, M maybe a little. Um, and I can be really particular as to which glass I use. And I brought actually several of my cups and glasses from home, and they all mean different things to me. And I don't even actually like all of them. But some of them have been given to me as gifts, or I've inherited them from grandparents. And so I would mourn if something happened to them. Like this Roadrunner one, this is not one I would buy, but my grandfather drank his coffee out of it. And not real coffee, like the kind that you mix with water and nuke in the microwave. And I'd have this image of him doing just that. But I connect him with so much more. I connect him with so much more. This cup makes me think of college. Um, I drink water out of this glass or juice, and if I want to feel Italian, I drink, I put my red wine in this cup. Um, my dad had cancer this year, and we went to Wicked to celebrate the fact that it was no longer in his body. Um, this is a cup from my grandmother, um, a, a mug from Russia to celebrate an anniversary with my husband. So many different cups that I drink out of, and it really, really matters to me which one I use. I think about it all the time. Paul, my husband, will even like get out a mug for me to use one morning, and I'll like feel a little guilty, but I put it back and I choose another one that I want that like somehow fits me better for the day. 
it matters to me where I drink. Every day I care about this little detail, but I recognize in me that it's important to my silly little self. And I allow myself the moment to choose every day, which cup for my tea, which cup for my wine. And this may be a frivolous way, but it's a way for me to illustrate what I think Mary wants for you and me, what I think God wants for you and for me. See, God wants us to care deeply where we will drink. God wants us to stay present in our lives and see the mystery and holiness that exists within. Because every day we need to drink, we can't escape our bodies. And every day we can choose where we assuage our thirst. But we have to choose. Because I don't think this is a human default setting, right? Human default is trying to store that manna for tomorrow. Human default is grumbling about grinding that grain again. But Mary says we are capable of choosing because we are the darling citizen that she's speaking to in the poem. This all may be my favorite part. So darling is a term of endearment, right? Somebody more than likes you to call you darling. Somebody probably loves you to call you darling. And Mary uses this word, I think, to warm up an otherwise kind of cold and political word. She calls us a darling citizen. Now, a citizen is a particular person who lives in a particular town. But I think that word also implies more than that, right? I think it implies responsibility and action. It's not a passive title from jury duty to voting. There are many actions and even a certain level of authority that a citizen has. And by using this word so purposefully and brilliantly, Mary stakes a claim for us in this world. She gives us the rights and privileges and protection that come with such an office, the office of a darling citizen. She gives us legal and spiritual rights to be here. We belong, and we have a say in the matters of our world, of our life. We have actions to take. We have a choice. She wants us to choose to believe that our daily grind is a collection of oak leaves and feet of ducks and harbors full of assuaging drink. She wants us, like St. Paul, to neglect the past and move towards the present. She wants us to, like God, exclaim, it is good as we engage in the creation of our daily life. And not one of us has to participate with our life in this way. But you hold this office of darling citizen in your life. Only you. And you can't be voted out of office. There are no limits to how many terms you can serve every day. Only you can choose how to participate with your daily grind. Only you can choose where to drink. Every day, only you can make the same walk into the same life and know that the past is the past. And the present, your every day, is what your life is. And it is holy and full of Jesus. So come and put your lips to the world. Will you pray with me? God, I really do believe that Mary's words echo your heart. I really do think that you want so much for us to put our lips to the world and drink till we can hold no more. I really do trust 
or try to trust that you have created us in this world in a specific way where we engage in repetition in order to know you more. I trust that in my dishes and parenting and driving the same route to work and the alarm clock waking me up every morning that you are there, mysteriously there. And because you are there, it is holy. And I can choose to drink that in and participate in a life where I am your darling citizen. Thank you for our daily bread and all the ways you allow us to receive it. Amen. <laughs>